the last seven or eight years, I've been working in the clean tech space, helping teams that can grow to be businesses, but also solve the problem of global warming and climate change. I think more and more big corporates are starting to realise that it's more than just profit, it's, it's about the world we live in. Being an entrepreneur is not something you, you learn through going to a classroom, <laughs> it's something you do with your own business, and right. you do it in real time. There's those ideas that can actually mitigate climate change and help reverse it, but then there's some ideas that say, you know what, it's going to happen. You and I have worked together for about six years now? Six or seven years, yeah, yeah absolutely. A long time. Yeah. And um, through Imperial College here in London, uh, the EIT Climate Kick. And um, I'd like to actually hear from you what, where you were before you started working uh, um, for the Climate Kick and how you be started working in the Climate Kick and what's happened since then. Um, and where you are right now and what you want to do for the future, all of that. So sure. not all at once, yeah. but... <laughs> Let's uh, get into that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I started out in the, the software business. So I spent a lot of time in, in Silicon Valley, in, uh, in, in software companies and systems integration companies and kind of learned the, I guess, the Californian way of, of doing business, selling the vision and making sure people understood the real problem you're solving. And there's a certain sense of show business that, that mm -hmm. goes along with, with that. And I learned that at a, at a very early age. Mm -hmm. uh, went through into uh, senior management, commercial roles, and then got involved in um, uh, IPOs. So, so part of the founding team and uh, came out with three IPOs, two on NASDAQ, one on London Stock Exchange. Oh, I didn't know that. Period. <laughs> so it's quite a kind of, and also a stack of failures. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of companies that uh, I worked for that didn't work. And I guess I've almost learnt more from those than I did from the ones that were amazing yeah. successes. I can imagine. Um, and then I went into management consulting and uh, worked for some, some very big corporates uh, in, in terms of turnarounds and helping them to reposition, doing M&A work uh, and that type of thing. And then for the last seven or eight years, I've been working in the clean tech space. Uh, and that's really kind of where my passion is, is helping teams that can grow to be businesses uh, and make money, but also solve the problem of, of global warming and climate change. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's such a massive issue. It's, for me, one of the chief issues of our time, chief challenges that we need to address. And so helping these startups to grow, to, to, to find their investment, to, to, to get out into the world and make a difference kind of makes me very proud of them. And yeah. so that's, that's where I've ended up today. And I use all my experience of having been an entrepreneur myself to help them put their best foot forward. Um, and of course, working with you is an amazing part of that. I mean, I think we both share uh, that joy in seeing the, the startups be successful. Yeah, that's that's right. And I, I, um, you know, you you and I, we, when you started the program, it was just before we started working together. Was I came in on your first intake of startups? Is that correct? That's right. I mean, I, I remember to this day um, sat in the very first venture competition uh, with Marianne Heikamp from a, a Dutch office, and uh, each time a startup came on the stage, I would comment to Marianne. I said, oh, "Yeah, that's a really good one there." Then there'd be not such a good one. I said, "That's a good one as well." And she she leant over to me and she said, "You know, 
all the ones that you're saying are really good ones are the one that Beth's coached. You know, I really must introduce you. And I think that's when we that's right. first started working together. That's so, right, because uh, I was living in Amsterdam at the time and yeah. working. I worked a little bit with the Dutch EIT Climate Kick um, office too. And then they, what happened is they then contracted me to work for them across Europe and all the different countries across Europe for the climate kick. And so I we, we got, well, you contacted me, I think it was, and then we started working together. And it was your first intake of like 30 teams. Yeah. I think that we... Yeah. we was that 2012, 2013, I 20, guess? 2012, I think, yeah. was the very first to 2013, right? And, um, and since then, you know, we've worked together every year, I mean, since then. And... Um, uh, with you, you have three intakes a year now, right? Yeah, two to three. It varies depending on on funding. I right. mean, in total, since we first started working together, the, the UK program has seen about ninety startups go through the program. Ninety. Yeah, something mm-hmm. like that. You know, eight, 86, 89, something like that. And and uh, how much money on average do you think this all this, the startups have raised? Well, the ones that have completed the program, and there's a, there's around about fifty that have completed the program, gone all the way through. Uh, they've raised between them uh, $170 million now. Yeah. Uh, and there's still teams that are still going through the program. Um, so it's a pretty high conversion rate. I mean, we're, we're seeing about 75% conversion rate of teams that come in to then go through and, uh, and, and make it into a business. What's interesting about your program, the, the, um, the EIT Climate Kick um, has funded like six countries um, to be the centers, they're called the co-location centers, um, for several countries to come and train different startups. And for, for the UK, you had the UK plus which is Ireland, right? Ireland and the UK? UK and Ireland and Scotland have recently joined as well. Yes. So, yeah. So, um, and what I found, because I've worked with many different accelerators across Europe and South Africa, in Silicon Valley, Brazil, all over, and um, what I found uh, about your program is that the way you used the funding and the way you structured your program was extremely effective, um, the most effective program that I'd seen, not just for clean tech, but for any sort of um, technology that, because I work with med tech and mm-hmm. biotech, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. But you have a, a higher success rate in how you structured your program and the, the mentoring that you've given them and the length of time you've allowed them to stay in the program. Mm. So if you could explain, um, see, normally the, a lot of the programs I work with, it's three months. Yeah. They go 12 weeks, sometimes six months. The organization that funds them sometimes takes some equity if they ra- help them raise just a little bit of money. It's a lot of equity sometimes for a little bit. They take like 8% sometimes for 15,000 15, euros. I don't know. It's really something I don't suggest that people agree to. But but anyway, um, uh, and yours, you um, it was funded by the Climate Kick, as I said, which is European funding, um, uh, Horizon 2020. But... Um, then you've structured your program in a way that is, has been, in my view, extremely effective. It's and you have so many successful clean tech companies that come out of your program. And I, I and I know that the Chinese were interested in your model and mm. brought you to China a few years ago to see yeah, if you we could. Yeah, went to Shanghai. Yeah, yeah. To Carbon Valley. Yeah. Right, because they had like seventy-five billion dollars to spend on clean tech, and they wanted you to develop your model there. So if just if, just, if you could explain mm. what you set up and how it's different from these other shorter, t- um, short-term 
pro uh, programs. Yeah, sure. I mean, time is a is a big part of it in a, in your classical accelerator, and, and, and you know, seventy five, eighty percent of them are digital. Uh, in order to create a digital venture, you need a keyboard and a screen, and an idea. And you know, you can you can you can then bounce that off customers. You can iterate very rapidly. So having an accelerator program that's only three months long kind of works because because actually you can have screens that just look good. They don't have to do anything other than guide the consumer to the web app or the app that they're doing and, and make it feel like they're immersed in an environment. You can do that very quickly. Um, but with, with clean tech, usually there's a piece of tech there. You know, it might be a piece of chemistry, it might be some engineering, it might be some electronics. So there's a, there's a larger amount of time to convert that intellectual property into a prototype that an investor can see has a commercial potential. So there's that amount of time for the technical development. But then there's also, it's a new market. You know, digital has been around, it's been around for quite a while actually. I mean, you know, since the 50s, the 60s, We've had computing and, and we've got used to different applications for computing. But it's only very recently that people have suddenly woke up to the fact that we need to do something about uh, the climate, that we need to decarbonize. And therefore there is a need for products that aren't necessarily the cheapest, but are very effective in doing what they're doing, but do it in a sustainable way that, that provides for a better future. And, and what, uh, give me your definition of sustainable. Sustainable. Well, it's it's you know you, businesses have to make profit. You know they have to be sustainable as a business, but they also have to think about the environment, the people, and uh, you know there's there's this triple bottom line thing. There's the social impact. Right. And I think more and more big corporates are starting to realise that it's more than just profit. It's it's about the world we live in. Right. And so for me, sustainability is on a lot of different levels, and I, I guess that's one thing I love about our startups is that they all have this passion to do something good not just as a business but for the society in which they live in right um, and so there's the, the, the time that it takes because it's a new market and they've got to understand the needs of the uh, the customers the segments of that market what makes them tick and, and and maybe what latent needs they have that they didn't know they had that they've got to uncover all of this and so that takes them more time and um, so what we've done is we structured the program such that it's pretty much open-ended. You know, they can take the time they need so that they do more pivots and they get to the model that is more likely going to work with the target customers that they have. Um, I mean, one really interesting example. Do you remember the team uh, Coheat? They, oh yes. You know, they applied to the program. Yeah, yeah fantastic yeah. team. Yeah. And th their first idea was um, a shower, where it, it, right. it collects the water from the shower. Um, and there's heat in the water that's just going down the plug hole, and they recycled that heat, so that you you you'd wouldn't have hot use, water. yeah you'd have hot water and you wouldn't be using so much heat. And they went off and talked to a load of people, uh, and went to a, you know big builder and said you know what do you think of this idea for your new homes? And they said ah it's not very good, but you know if you had a community heating system that would be a, you know, fantastic. We'd buy one tomorrow. So they kind of thought about this and pivoted to where the opportunity was and yeah in some ways that's that's a good thing because you've got to follow where the the need is right and um that's an example of where a company went through the program they pivoted but they came up with an idea that was really valued right um and they're doing well and they're doing well but that comes back to time you know if, if you're in a three-month program 
you would miss that and, and then you come to the end of the programme and think, you know what, we didn't make it work, but that's okay. Yeah. Whereas if you have more time, you're able to uh, come out with a result. And I think that's the difference between us and other programmes. Right. Well, and I think another difference, that's true. That's one main difference, I think. The other difference that I've seen, because I've been worked with just, I don't know, 20, 20, 30 different accelerators around the world, at least, maybe more, um, is that you've got yours phased. So you have three stages. So you bring them in, and they've got their idea. They may or may not have a proof of concept. So you're, you basically are bringing them in. You're helping them to train to sort of understand what's required. And then you're sort of testing them to see if they're ready to go to the next phase, and they understand what the phases require. So they have a picture of the whole of the requirements. Um, to That's a roadmap of what they, the steps they need to take in order mm. to get to um, the market. And you actually um, give them funding that is a little bit at first, a little bit more second, and then much more when they're setting up the business to go out to the market, right? And uh, so you've divided the money that the government's given you into three phases. So you've structured it this way mm. in a way that I find is, and it's over, eight, lots of the companies take, you said it's open-ended, but they take 18 months, two years, has been my experience, because I, you know, I come in, I coach them, you brought me in twice, at least, to coach them in the beginning, and then maybe later on, or for the, they have the, the competitions, uh, Europe-wide, to compete against other clean tech companies that are in this program across Europe, I coach those, also those companies, but um, those, that, I think, also is what, um, uh, matters because if you just had the time and you didn't have the structure that allows them to get the tools that they need, so what, well, the reason I think that what you do and what I do works so well together is because in a longer term, larger program, you do exactly what I do in a shorter term, two day, three day program that I that I you know bring to the companies at different points along the way, along their path, and that is you basically um, ha help them understand who they need to talk to, what the articulate the problem, get the solution, but you give them the tools and the feedback to sort of understand from people that are experts in their field to understand what they need, what's missing, and what they need to work on. And then you give them the next phase so that they can get the practice of, of getting to the next, next stage um, where they might need to develop their prototype, get a pilot going um, in the second phase, for instance, and um, go out to the market more. And then the third phase is basically scaling it to the market and um, getting their own office and setting themselves up into a business, right? But they've yep. had they've had mentoring all the way along with the business model. They get my pitch coaching. They get. I mean, it's really, um, it's it's complete because you you're bringing people from industry for them. You're bringing in technical experts. You're bringing in someone like I'm from Silicon Valley and from from Europe. The last six years I'm in Europe, but it's like you're you're getting people in who actually can um, help them with giving them feedback to, um, from what really matters, what what works, what yeah. doesn't work. And I find that there's there's many um, accelerators out there and incubators, but they may not understand what actually is necessary to sort of support these people accurately yeah. so that they can actually no, survive and thrive once they hit it. the market. It's not a theoretical exercise. No. I mean, you, you, you know as well as I do, we've both been in business, we've been right. entrepreneurs, that being an entrepreneur is not something you 
you learn through going to a classroom. Mm-hmm. It's something you do with your own business. And right. You do it in real time. And so you kind of have to accept that, that that's, uh, that's what the way to work with an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So therefore, if you give them support along the way and you make little interventions at each step along the journey and you're with them, then you're more likely to get a successful outcome for them. Right, and, uh, which is what the Chinese recognized <coughs> when they brought you over. So what was it they were interested in you doing for them? Well, there's, there's a few pieces. For, for them, um, the structure of stage one, where we, you and I work closely together, uh, was really good because it you, know, you get the basics like the business model, you, you get the ability to communicate that, you, you get mentors to test have you got the right kind of business model that makes sense, you know, is it, is it commercially viable? Um, so you can do the basics, then you come in, you, you, you make sure you wrap all that up so that it communicates it beautifully, it's succinct, it's understandable. And instead of speaking about their technology, they speak to their audience. Exactly. And, and that is a huge part because often they miss that, you know, especially if they've come from a scientific background where they've they've been doing stuff in a lab, <laughs> they might never have done communication skills. Right. So, so for me, the, the Chinese were very interested in the structure of stage one. Um, but probably more importantly, the bit that they don't do in China very much is engaging with the market in the way that we, we do in the West and, mm-hmm. and taking customer feedback, turning that into product iterations mm-hmm. or strategy iterations. The flow of the information. The flow of the information mm-hmm. and the pivots that you do. And so they were very interested in, you know, what is a pivot and how do you, how do you make sure it's the right pivot? Mm. And of course, there's no golden rule around that. It's, it's just a case of working with each startup and understanding and helping them make the right decisions along the way. Right. So it's a, um, a, to some extent, it's a trial and an error process, but it's a um, an educated and calculated trial and error. Exactly That's that. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, for you and I as as entrepreneurs, we have an instinct as well, so mm-hmm. we can bring that to to bear. And then all of the other mentors that are in the program can also get perspectives and opinions and. The poor startup, they have so much advice that uh, yeah, that's right. it's, uh, they it's get sometimes overwhelmed. Yeah, a little overwhelming. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, but the, then the final part that I think is a really important part of the overall process is that they usually realize when they've got the market feedback that, you know, to get this whole thing off the ground, they've got to get some money. You know, it, they, they can't avoid the situation where fundraising doesn't have to happen. Uh, sure, there's some useful, useful government grants along the way, um, and, and often teams will go for those, but you, you, you do have to win investment. And so we set that as the final hurdle in the program, that you once you've won investment, a significant amount of investment from a uh, private equity private. or angel, then uh, you qualify for the stage three award. So it's more like a little bonus for right. having achieved your final milestone. Right, right, uh, right. And again, I, I think the Chinese are very interested in that. It's not a case of just giving the, the money away. It's a case of achieving something and being rewarded for achieving. Right, 
but and giving them the right um, training tools and exposure networking to in order to achieve that because mm -hmm. you what I found with you also is that you you have your finger on the pulse of all the venture capitalists in London for instance and all the accelerators in London who's doing what I mean you know that what's happening out there and so you invite them in uh, to hear them, invite the venture capitalists, for instance, in to hear your 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 startups and connect them with the right people. So you're really good at the network and connecting. You know, I don't think I've told you about this, but we've got an incredible event coming up in three weeks' time. We're doing a speed dating session. So mm -hmm. we have we call it a ten by ten speed dating. We have ten startups, ten investors, and we we sent out a, a profile listing on our platform of the startup and say to the investors. Pick the six that you're most interested in meeting, and then we set up a personal itinerary. Everybody comes along. They have a 20-minute meeting. We ring a gong. They all move around to the next yeah. meeting, and yeah. uh, it's a great way of connecting investors with startups. Right. So right. I'm very excited to be running. Yeah. That no, I mean, actually, I you you just sent me an e an email about it just just as you were walking in, so I just quickly saw it because I'm going to be working with the teams. Uh, to sort of coach them, and you, you wrote me the email to explain that it's not my, my sort of typical um, pitch to investors because they only have a certain amount, of this short amount of time, and they have like uh, 20 seconds or, or one minute um, maximum, sort of explain who they are, and um, the, I mean, the way you describe what they're looking for, it helps me to sort of hone mm. my focus so that I'll be able to really ask them to... Um, uh, talk about you know what the problem is, their solution, what traction they have, how much money have they raised, what how much are they looking for, and they have to say it really really quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you're you know amazing at that type of thing because the way you're able to get them to to pricey their content into a fast, snappy, confident um, uh, expression, it just kicks off the meeting. Uh, brilliantly and you know we've worked on a number of formats together mm. the sort of one minute elevator pitch or this modified speed dating introduction right um, is is a great way to to, to help the start because they have to do it in real life when they're networking right they see somebody at a party you have a minute and you just want to get to a card swap and move on to the next right. one um, and and what I tell you know that minute is much more difficult to get to than a half an hour talk yeah because a half an hour talk you can be self-indulgent you can sort of just not have to focus and get clarity about this is what I need to say this is what I have to cut out this you, you can sort of put everything in there in half mm. an hour talk 20 minute talk when you have one minute you have to really decide what's the key thing that I need to say in yep. one minute to get them to be interested to talk to me afterwards it needs to be natural it needs to be positive right. and uh, I mean that's a wonderful skill you have <laughs> to bring that out from the teams Thank and, you. Uh, and the five minute piece is important as well isn't it because that's then the pitch to a bigger audience a little bit more time but again you, you know five minutes is not enough time no and it has to be punchy it has to be right. amazing it uh, does to, it, to really beat the competition right I know the majority of the time they have five minutes to pitch when we when we work together over the last number of years but so um, but I always include the one minute pitch in my in my training so my coaching so that they first have to give a stand up and give a one minute pitch before I go into um, what to say what not to say and how to say it and then they get up and do their five minute pitch with their slides but the one minute pitch that it's it's an ability to crystallize the value of what you're doing mm. succinctly, put the right numbers in there so they understand the impact by, by having your metrics correct yeah. and um, and then delivering it in a way that's that's confident and passionate about, about so that people listening to you immediately wanna 
respond. And the fact is you're doing it with the speed dating, but um, they'll be able to take that and should be able to repeat themselves in yeah. any, any setting. It's a skill they can use. Use for everything. Also, I mean, right? it's all down to the, the right form of communication, the right message, understanding their audience. Right. And uh, executing on that. That's doing, exactly doing really right. That's executing yeah. is really, really important. So, um, so tell me, um, Andrew, what, uh, what now? For the for the Clemic and for you going forward, what do you sort of envision? You've also developed um, this marketplace um, for investors and, and clean tech companies. That I've seen that I think is fabulous. So just explain a little bit about that, and then also what else you have mm. in mind. Well, the marketplace is just a way of connecting investors across more countries and more geographies. Uh, what does tend to happen is things get, get localized. So we have a you know, big, very um, a successful cluster in London, but there are also clusters in Berlin and in Paris and, and across the cities. Clean in tech clusters. C cl clean tech clusters, but also digital as well, mm -hmm. and, and, and all of the other disciplines. And by creating a platform where we can put all of the uh, clean tech, uh, climate-oriented startups across the network into one common platform, we can we can gain better visibility of of the startups to investors in other countries. So it's it's a way of just sort of raising the bar on deal flow and and also marketing for the, the startups. And what's what's the link for it? What's it what's it called to find the marketplace? It's the climate-kick.org forward slash marketplace. Okay. Is the link. Uh, so great place to go and just check out how to visualize and, and search for startups that meet your criteria. Yeah. So I'm when you told me that you developed it, I looked at it and I was going, whoa, this is really, really good. It would be so good for like all of my clients because I cross all technologies with my clients. Um, uh, it would be so great to be able to have, you know, because I meet so many um, different startups with different investors across so many different countries mm. and they're venture capitalists are looking, always looking for deal flow and startups are always looking for investors that could be interested. It'd be great if I could create something similar or connect to yours mm. so that we could then cross-pollinate. Oh, I think, think yeah. it would be, yeah, there, is, there is a real need out there for investors to have access to early stage deals and there's a lot of platforms that give the later stage deals yeah. but, um, but no, the, we should do that. We should do that. It's not just early stage deals, it's early stage deals that are really Pre-qualified. Yeah. You know, they've been quality deals. The quality yeah. deals. See, because mm. I, you know, there's lots of early stage deals out there, but the the companies that come through your program, and through the other programs of the accelerators that I work with that are uh, across Europe that I've worked with are really, um, really high quality already because mm. they've gone through a screening process. So the investors can have these pre-screened high quality companies to look at and I think it just makes it easier for them and it makes it easier for the companies that are trying to raise money. I, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean the other thing that we're, we're, we're doing which I think is, is very different is um, is, is, is the, this, this notion of co-location where you can bring all of the various pieces together in one place and the new campus we have in, in White City in, mm. in West London, we, we've got plans for a much larger facility where we can have the startups uh, with uh, laboratories, with prototype uh -huh. space, we can have the incubator space, but we can also bring in the investors, we can bring in technical experts and scientists and create much more of a, a localized cluster. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we've, we've found that a, a, a lot of incubation zones across Europe and other parts of the world see London as a fantastic global city for 
bringing innovation too. So it's, that's something that we're, we're very excited about. Yeah. So the idea of the, the marketplace and also the, the hub uh, two big parts of where we see our future. Mm -hmm. And um, Europe versus uh, Silicon Valley, how do you see um, clean tech in Europe versus uh, um, Silicon Valley in terms of uh, competitiveness, quality of startups, funding, all of that? Well, I think with Trump at the moment, it's kind of clean tech hasn't isn't really doing much at the moment. The investment's gone down, and and it's such a shame because I think uh, until a few years ago, um, there was a real sense that America wanted to invest heavily in clean tech and was going to do something big, but we've seen it tail off in the last couple of years with with the current policies. So I think Europe and uh, Asia are, are, are probably doing more, um, but I would imagine in a couple of years' time, who knows what's going to happen? You know. What I do know is that Silicon Valley move very fast, and they can, they can really move move mountains. So, uh, yeah, I think the more people that are doing this thing, the better, because it is a, a global problem we're trying to address. And mm -hmm. it's, it's one planet; we all live on it. Um, so, the more every country can do, the, the the better. Right, but I also feel like in Europe that because there's agreement across Europe that that climate change is real, <laughs> and that there there it's important, it's urgent to do something about it now. Mm. So you've got you've got um, sort of like mind across Europe, UK and the rest of Europe, um, to take action on it. On it, and so um, you know my impression is. Um, even before sort of the Trump situation, that clean tech, they were doing things in, in, in the U.S., but I, I always had the impression that in Europe they were actually doing more. And, mm. they, and because a society values it and supports it e equally across, yeah, across right. all of Europe. Yeah. And, um, I remember one of my very early experiences with the Climate Kick teams, um, they're explaining to me that uh, actually, if you if you look at the major European cities, a lot of them are on rivers. You know, you look at Paris on the Seine, uh, Seine and uh, London on the Thames, uh, Amsterdam on the Amstel. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't take much sea level rise, and, and some of our major cities are actually uh, yeah. in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so, so it is very pertinent to Europe, and it's a different impact from climate change to other areas of the world where we see, you know wildfires or tornadoes or whatever mm -hmm. but um, yeah Europe is very vulnerable uh, yeah so it has this this uh, social um, desire to actually do something about it which right is, which is great it's a combination from my view of a social desire combined with money so they, they're giving resources money people like you mm -hmm. to to it people who know what they're doing to sort of create new things but then also the cross-pollination of ideas across Europe I think is happening in a way that's uh, amazing I really am um, thrilled to be here working mm. in this environment because uh, people always say, well, how come you're here, not in Silicon Valley? But I find that um, Europeans have achieved so much and one of the key issues for them to sort of find their place in the world is that they are quite modest about communicating their achievements. And so what I can help is to Absolutely, yeah. You know, improve um, the impact of that communication and also the value of the agreement of social agreements across all these different countries in Europe that support um, 
the good, the improvement of the climate situation is like just certain basic values that they agree to. You don't have to fight about them, or argue about them like they do in the states. Yeah, it's commonly accepted. It's isn't it? accepted yeah. across Europe. Yeah. Uh, you know, is makes it so much easier to, to sort of move things forward here. That's what I found. I mean, that's one of the wonderful things I find about having sort of running a masterclass, for instance, is that we we hosted one on um, hiring high impact team members mm -hmm. uh, a few weeks ago. And so we had people from all of the different climate kick offices and countries coming into London. And how many offices um, were there? Uh, were there? Uh, Berlin was very well represented. Uh, Paris was the Spanish offices. Some of the Italian offices. I mean, actually, it was a, it was a good spread. We yeah. had about 40, 40 people. Yeah. Um, and and there's this common belief there. There's this common culture of uh, doing something good, which right. uh, always strikes me when you get the uh, international groups together. That right. that's, that's the thing that unites them. That's uh, right. There's there's an agreement, there's an alignment mm. um, of values, and then they then you have the resource put to it, and then you take the action. So, um, which makes me hopeful mm. uh, for the world, because Europe, even though I know there's lots of issues in Europe <laughs> about lots of different things, but basically there's certain things that are, are um, like this that are really um, agreed to and supported and yeah, acted on. that's one of the good things. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so it's sort of like fighting the good fight. Mm. <laughs> when you're in your intake process, what are the key things that you look for in a company? Do you know that's a really good question? And, you know, there's, there's, there's two things and then there's another six. So I'll, I'll talk about the two first. So, um, the first is we've got to have the right people, and what what we mean by that um, is people that are able to listen and take uh, feedback, take take advice, absorb the environment and the, the thoughts that they're, they're they're within. If they're not able to listen, then they just carry on with their idea. They don't change it, and more likely than not, they'll make a mistake. So and I call it being coachable. I need yeah, people who are coachable. Being coachable. But it's exactly for me too, that. I don't work with people who aren't coachable because it's a waste of energy and effort. Yeah. And it's a difficult trait to spot because yeah. you're, you're you're sort of interviewing somebody and you're just trying to work out how open they are. Yeah. So so that's one thing we look for, and there's another whole layer of of. Of people things, you know, are they the right type of people to actually make a business, you know, can they make it happen? So we look for that type of thing. Um, but then we also look for the idea, you know, is this an idea that can fly? You know, is there really going to be a market? And sometimes, you know, you, you think, actually, it's not great, but if we modified that bit, we modified that bit, and we influenced them to move to that market, it, it would work. So we're, we're less... Um, precious about the idea, more about the people. Right, right. So that's a very good point because um, who's on the team is almost m almost more important than than what the idea is. Mm. Because if they have some kernel of an idea, that if the team's coachable and you've got the right people on the team, or they recognize they need to add certain people if they're missing a few, um, then you can sort of work with them to sort of. Yeah. massage it, sort of tailor it so that, or edit it or recreate it or pivot so that you can create something that actually is is amazing. So that, that was what I was going to ask, you know, is that, is, does it, um, if they don't have a decent idea, but the team is amazing, would you still take them in? It, it, the, the idea's got to have something, something about it. So something. so what we look for is it's it's got to have at least a scalable option. You know, it's got to have a scalable business model. Uh, it's Typically, we, we like to see that there's some IP, there's something very special, there's some 
really interesting piece of that. Um, it might be a patent, it might be a piece of tech, um, but if it's just a, you know, a simple idea with nothing special, we yeah. typically don't take those on. Um, we look for um, we, we look for something that we think can be successful as well, mm. and it's this kind of that's when gut feel comes into it. But do we really think there's a market out there for this? Right. Um, so it's got to have it's got to be grounded in a business. Um, we look for something that's got to have a climate change impact. So clearly, you know, we want to do something for the planet. So mm -hmm. if it does scale, if it is successful, then in turn it will make a difference. Right. Um, team, obviously, is, mm -hmm. is, is the other factor. Um, so they're the main things that we look for. So I've yeah. seen across the course of um, the years that you've taken on some, some teams that are... Um, mm, they have a very sort of practical application, um, or it's hardware, or because it's polar, it's um, a different type of uh, uh, solar panel, or a different shape of uh, solar panel, or um, a new coating for the wind wind blades, something very concrete. But um, I've also seen you um, support people uh, like Tim Kruger, who have ideas about how to sequester CO two that are like really. Um, uh, so, so very way way out there, right? Mm. In terms of uh, um, being really far from it actually ha being able to happen, but that he's on a path that could possibly get us there in a number of years. So it looks like you've got a combination of teams that um, have a shorter term impact and then have a much longer term impact. Is is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We we sort of spread our bets so that there's some some long term uh, solutions that could have a massive impact. There's some short-term things that give give quick gains, and then there's the two sides of climate change. There's there's those ideas that can actually mitigate climate change and help reverse it, but then there's some ideas that say, you know what, it's going to happen, and we need to prepare for the fact that it's going to happen. So we call those climate adaptation ideas, mm -hmm. where you it's slightly depressing, but you accept that it's it's happening, and but these ideas will make it easier and they'll help one adjust. So for example, you know we have some. Um, teams that do genetic editing for um, foodstuffs so that we can we can grow the food that humanity needs in a world where we have less land because the land's been burnt away. In fact, I know the European Union voted that we, or the European Court of Justice said that we shouldn't be doing that in Europe anymore. But it's, it's a big thing for populations in China and India, the rest of the world, where uh, if climate change does does happen, then we need to do something about it. So we have all sorts of different ideas. Or, or use 90% less water, like there's one company called DryGrow. Mm. Uh, DryGrow uh, is Charlie Curtis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that Tim Kruger originally also? That was Tim as well. So Tim yeah. has been involved uh, in And Chess, yeah. and then, and then uh, Sean, uh, I forget Sean's last name. but Sean Peters, yeah. Yeah, Sean Peters, yeah. the CEO. So they've got DryGrow, which you can grow... Um, food with 90% less water, right? Yeah, 99% less oh, water. Oh, 99% less yeah. water, excuse me. Isn't that incredible? So, yeah. you know, desert environment, you can be growing uh, salads, tomatoes, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. They're doing a fantastic trial, I think, in Kenya right now right. Where, where people who haven't been able to grow this food are suddenly having... Uh, yeah, fresh fresh salads to be able to eat. So right, it's inspirational right. stuff. So, so this morning um, I talked to someone, uh, to to actually Jonathan Risley, who who actually get, creates gets drinking water out of thin air. Yep, that was one of so your cool. And yeah. then Kate Hoffman, she I talked to her, and she um, has 
um, grow, grows food um, from an urban environment. So, I mean, there's all, and then, then, then Tim with chess, Tim Kruger with chess, has this sort of big idea about how to save the planet and sequestering. Um, yeah, generate power, but also take carbon dioxide out, out of, the of the atmosphere, atmosphere right. at the same time. So it's right. actually a carbon negative technology. Right. And then um, there was, um, a, 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 I guess it was out of Switzerland, it was the climate kick, but there's Carbon Delta. And uh, there was a company um, that uh, is looking at sort of the financial markets to try to index how, oh, there's index. The in oh, ET index. ET yeah. index. Which See, is that's yours. a great commercial idea in mm -hmm. there. That they've got a, an algorithm that helps to um, look at carbon intensity in, in, in a portfolio, an investment portfolio, and uh, you can get great returns but reduce the carbon intensity. And in, in so doing, it helps investors think about where they want to put their money. You know, do they want to put their money in things that are just burning the planet or into things that will uh, do, do good for the planet, right. and, uh, but without sacrificing any return. So, so they can reduce their, uh, their their carbon risk. They can increase their returns, and and what that does is it starts moving money across the stock markets into things that are more important that we invest in. Right. And I think that's why we're seeing some you know traditional markets start to slide. You know, there's there's a real sea change now with uh, the transition to a low carbon. Economy. So they're a great example of how it doesn't have to be tech, it can be finance. Exactly, right. Yeah. So the whole range of programs that you've supported and, and startups that you, you've supported cover you know, everything that you could possibly think of, I think, about what we need to think to implement and develop in order to save the planet. So I'm really, it really gives me a sense of, um, it's very gratifying for me because you know my I'm trying to help as many people as possible, do as much good as possible for yep. as many people as possible quickly. And who you are and what you're doing helps me um, do that in a sort of exponential way. Well, so. I, you know, I'm so pleased to work with you because you know, in some ways, we both have children. We both want to leave the mm -hmm. planet in a, in a in a better place. That's than right. We had it, and so it's good for us both to do something good. Right, I yeah. know it's been great. So thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you, you very much. <laughs>